0: For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. Today's lesson is about Avoiding Common Pitfalls for Young Churches by Stephen Chapel. Stephen Chappell has been serving as pastor of Coastline Baptist Church in Oceanside, California since he started the church in 1998. Now let's go ahead and listen as Stephen Chapel presents Avoiding Common Pitfalls for Young Churches.
1: If you have a Bible, you might want to join me in turning today to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6 is where we're going to be spending some time. And uh, uh, I wondered why they gave me the topic, avoiding common pitfalls for young churches. And the more I thought on it, I, I think it's because we stumbled into a lot of those pitfalls. You know, that's kind of the nature of starting a new church. In two weeks, it will be... 11 years since uh, my wife and I went to northern San Diego County. We didn't know one person. We just started knocking on doors, getting to know people, seeing people saved and baptized and discipled and added to the church, and we're grateful for that. And I say all that to the glory of God to really reiterate what you've been hearing since you've been here. It can be done for God's glory and by God's grace. And uh, I'm thankful to tell you that after nearly 11 years now, we can look back and see the hand of God. And I'm grateful for, it, for that. The, the the greatest joy in, in ministry, I believe, and I'm talking to guys who are interested in church planning and young churches, uh, it, it's just pioneering a work by faith, feeling a call of God, going out and seeking to do your best by God's grace, as I said, to carve a work out of nothingness and, and bring it into being. It's wonderful. It's a great journey, a great experience, and I, I'm grateful for it. I, I really have no regrets at all for Uh, feeling the Lord leading and following that leading to do work. But I want to tell you, it's not always the easiest type of ministry there is. Uh, There are some difficulties along the way, and the nature of following the Lord's leading and starting a church is that you'll have occasions where you'll find your footing a little bit precarious. And the pitfalls are out there. The the title of this session is Avoiding Common Pitfalls. It's not Avoiding Problems because that will never happen. Sometimes I'll talk to guys that are preparing to start a church, praying about starting a church, and you kind of get the idea that they're wanting to come up with such a plan that would remove any margin for error at all, and that's just not the nature of doing anything by faith. But uh, I am glad to tell you that when we're taking a journey by faith for the Lord... If, if our journey takes us through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't need to fear because He said, I'm with you. And uh, that's the great news about God. I'm thankful for the psalm in Psalm 94, verse 18, that says, uh, my foot slippeth, thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Psalm 121, verse 3, he will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Uh, it's grateful to have come nearly 11 years in this journey the Lord has me on and to look back and to see the sovereignty of God. To see how God has ruled, he's overruled, he's, he's been there in every step. And based on that experience, of course, the truth from the word of God, I can look ahead and say, God, you've been with me in each step, uh, as, as uh, was said in the church planner session, Seen the lion and the bear, so to speak. There may be a giant ahead of me, but I'm grateful to know, God, that you can continue to work. And so we're going to talk today a little bit about avoiding these common pitfalls in ministry. One great passage of Scripture, I believe, that can serve as a great source of help and comfort is found in Acts chapter 6. And, and if you want to join me in, in looking there, I'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied... There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look uh, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer... To the ministry of the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Icanor, and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before, uh, excuse me, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Why don't we have a brief word of prayer? Our Father, thank you that you are a good and, and a kind God. We thank you that you allow us to have a part in your ministry. Lord, we know the nature of, of uh, any work done for you is that from time to time problems arise. And, and Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn a great lesson from these first century believers. I pray that as we look to this text, we would understand how we can avoid some of the pitfalls along the way. Lord, I love you today, and I pray that you'll use me to be a help to each of these here. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. You know, the world has really never seen the great growth, the explosive growth, all of the excitement like was seen in this first century church. We, we see that new believers were coming together, and God did through them uh, the miraculous. Why? Because they were a people of faith. I like to go back to Acts chapter 1 and figure out some of the elements that were there in the beginning. The Bible tells us they were a group of people that believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They believed that. They believed that Jesus was ruling. Uh, They knew he was sovereign God. They understand that. They understood that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. They believed that. But not only did they believe those things, they believed that Jesus was returning. And they found in those truths the motivation necessary to go ahead and do a pioneering work of faith for God. They believed that the message of Jesus Christ that was so invaluable to them needed to be spread abroad. And so the Bible lets us know that they began to do the things that Jesus had taught them to do. If we were to take the time to go to Acts chapter 17, we would find there that these people of faith were referred to as the ones that turned the world upside down. And that's a great testimony to have. Good things were happening. The gospel was going out. People were getting saved. Souls were being baptized. And a problem emerged in the life of of their church. Sometimes we get the idea that if we just pray hard enough and we love the Lord enough and we knock on enough doors and we do enough soul winning, then surely those, those difficulties, those problems, those pitfalls won't come across my path. That's not reality, my friends. I want you to know, if ever there was an example of a church that was on fire for the Lord going forward with the gospel message, it was this church, and we read in Acts chapter 6 that in the midst of all of that, difficulty came. I talked to a pastor last night, and I asked him, how's the work going? He said, it's been going great. It's, it's been 12 good years. And I said, I thought you'd been there a little longer than that. He said, I have. It's only been 12 good years, you know. And I think we can all have that testimony. If you have any longevity in ministry at all, you'll be able to look back and, and say, you know, it's all good, God was in it all, but there were some times that were problematic. There were some times where criticism came and difficulty emerged. And so what we're trying to talk about today is how are we going to deal with those times? How, how are we going to let the problems come, yet not let them develop into pitfalls that prevent us from going forward? And I'm glad to tell you that there's some great books published in recent years No greater book than the Bible, no greater example than this first century church. Let's look again in verse 1. And in those days, now I could read on, but what were those days? They were days of transition. They were days of great growth. They were days of great accomplishment. And By the way, we need more days like that in our days. Those days were great days. But it was a time where great things were happening for the Lord. The Bible says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. I want you to find with me in verse 1 as we look here, looking for helps when it comes to avoiding these pitfalls. I want you to see here a continuous adjustment. Let me tell you what the blessing of God did. Let me tell you what the growth of this church did. It did the same thing growth will do in your church. It exposed limitations. That's what growth does. I remember as a young man growing up and having times where I'd be laying in bed and these growing pains would come and and my mom would come and rub my legs and I know of times when my knees were hurting because growth has a way of stretching us physically and in a church growth stretches you. It exposes limitations. In this first century church, it exposed the limitation of time that was on the lives of the apostles. They couldn't get to it all. They couldn't do it all. There was a time when they could do everything, and as God blessed and as the growth came, it revealed that some extra help was needed. Now, in principle, we see that they responded to these times by continuously adjusting to meet ever-changing needs. Now, this, this may not make great sense, but I think the point will be made. The problems were not really problems. They were opportunities brought about by God as the result of His goodness and His blessing. And it was an occasion for the people of God to say, all right, what needs to happen now in response to this problem that has come our way? And friends, if we are not finding problems like that in our ministries, we've got bigger problems than we even know about. I mean, if we can look around and we're not seeing classrooms fill up and parking lots fill up and, and the need for uh, more, more services and these types of things. Listen, sometimes what we accuse of being the great problems in our life are nothing more than the evidence that a very good and kind and loving and benevolent God is working in, in your midst. And so this came. They could have called it a problem, but they responded the way we all should respond in this type of a situation with continuous adjustment. Now, friends, I want you to know something. We must be open to change. And one great problem I find that serves as a pitfall many times before the problems even arrive is when we have a, a preconceived idea of what ministry is supposed to look like. We, we did a, a thorough planning and how to start a church. We charted our course for the first years. And, and we get this idea in our minds of how it's all supposed to work out. And when we get taken off of our plan, sometimes we're very hesitant to do what this first century church did to say, I sense the need for a change here. People oftentimes ask me, what were you expecting your first year of ministry? I expected a lot of things. Uh, There were weeks I I expected nobody to return the next Sunday. Any any of you been there like me? I'm expecting nobody to come. There were other weeks where I was really thinking I'm expecting perhaps thousands upon thousands of people to come next week. You know, my, my expectations were all over the place. I found a great verse in the book of Psalms that says this, my expectation comes from the Lord. And so we need to learn to, yes, have a plan and work our plan, but have a heart that's open for change when that need comes into our lives. We need to be open to transition. How could that be done? These are suggestions that have been put to work in our ministry. Sometimes it's a change of service schedule. Growth brings a a, a need for that. Sometimes it's moving classes or starting new classes. Sometimes it's finding more space or building more space. Sometimes it's just simply rejecting the norm. We have a statement that I use quite often in our church. Status quo has got to go. And sometimes we get in a comfort zone in our lives and we say, that's how it was done in my grandfather's church and my father's church. Therefore, that's how it must be done in my church. And I'm saying that if we're going to reach people in the day in which we're living, we need to have an openness, not for a change of doctrine, if anything's been nailed down in this conference, that has, but for a change of how to tackle the challenges that are unique to us. Sometimes people call me and say, can you share with me what you know about church planning? I've got to tell you, I'm almost totally fossilized now in the church planning realm. It's been 11 years, man. I'm a dinosaur. The world is changing so rapidly. We need to be open to say, God, how would you have me to tackle this situation right now? And sometimes when we're so diligent to take those couple years to lay out our plan, we don't want to get off it. And we think this is how it's going to be done. And friends, I want you to know you can't micromanage the work of God. You can't sit out two years in advance and tell God what it's going to look like. It's kind of like the soldier that wants to plan so well that he never actually has to go into battle. Sometimes church planners get that mindset where I'm going to figure this whole thing out. I'll never have to have a financial price to be paid personally. No sacrifice there. And, and I can involve enough other people in door knocking. I won't have to knock so many doors. And if I do this and that and the other, this is going to be a piece of cake. I want you to know something. That type of a mindset will never do a great work for God. When the problems come, what do we do? We say there needs to be some adjusting here. We need to be sensitive to that. Our world is filled with good churches who have been innovative and creative in how they've approached the needs of reaching and teaching their area for Christ. One of my favorite things about Lancaster Baptist Church is every time I come here, I leave with with great fill-in-the-blank notes, uh, but but more than that with a notepad filled with ideas, a new song, a, a, a ministry thought. I love to look around at some of these other good churches and find what are they doing and then bring it home and make it relevant to where I am. I love the book of Jude, the theme for this conference, making a difference. And of some, have compassion. I've taught for years that that meant that if you want to make a difference, you have to have compassion. In principle, that may be true. That's not what the text is saying at all and of some have compassion, and others with fear. In other words, there are different ways to approach different people and different needs and different situations. I, I love the way the Apostle Paul was, was uh, so very sensitive to meet the needs of, of those in his day. A text we don't often read in reference to, to local church ministry, yet to the believers in Corinth, he said this, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the laws, without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. You kind of get the idea the Apostle Paul said, I know there are going to be problems, and I know the potential for pitfalls exists, but you also get the idea the Apostle Paul wanted to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The next verse says this, And this I do for the gospel's sake. What a great testimony. He said, I want to do what needs to be done to reach people. So often the limitations we find, those, the, those pitfalls that hold us captive, the, the, the nature of the problem is more in our thinking. I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking, but I want you to know there's power in negative thinking. It can't be done, we'll never move on from here. I like the story of Georgine Johnson. She was a 42-year-old secretary from Cleveland and she arrived one day to run in her first 10-kilometer race. She got there a little early to stretch, and to her surprise, as she was stretching, she she heard the gunfire and runners starting, about 4,000 runners, and so she joined in the race. And and she realized after a while something horribly wrong had had taken place in her life. She had not started in the proper race. She realized she started in the marathon. She'd only wanted to run a 10K, but she kept running and running, and four hours and four minutes later, she came in 83rd out of over 4,000 runners in, in that marathon. She'd only run eight miles before in her life. She didn't know she could run a marathon. She didn't know she could do that well. She didn't know she could place that high. She had convinced herself it probably cannot happen, but through a series of events, she found herself running, decided just to keep going, and she found that she could do more than she ever dreamt possible. Let me tell you something. You can build a church greater than you believe you can if you're trusting God's power to get it done. When those problems come, do what the first century believers did. They began to make the adjustments as as they were necessary. When you have that heart, that mindset, you'll find that God can use you in a great way. Well, we saw something wonderful from verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and, and serve tables. I want us to see secondly here a courageous administration. You see, verse 2 tells us, that the disciples didn't shoot the messenger. They they were courageous enough to go to work to find a solution. You see, leaders have a bias for action. They don't bury their head in the sand. They don't have such a fear for problems and the potential for pitfalls that when they hear of the news, they act as though it didn't happen. They immediately go to work to make sure they're they're leading the group forward. Think of that. We, We are all experts at finding fault in the ministries of others. And sometimes we're so willfully blind to those same areas in our own lives. We need to do exactly what Brother Shemesh talked about today. Invite those occasions when God can come into our lives and reveal those things that are wanting or lacking and needing. That's what effective leaders do. They have the courage to confront obstacles with a positive attitude, knowing that God wants to build our ministry more than we do. Now, had I been a disciple that day, already more to do than time to do that. The the Bible makes that clear. And someone came in and said, uh, uh, hey, listen, Disciple Steve, did you know there's people murmuring in the church, saying you're not getting around meeting everybody's needs? I might have been inclined to say, well, you can tell that person just to shut their mouth. I'm doing all I can do. I'm getting up early. I'm working late. I don't know what all you guys expect from me. I mean, there's only so much one guy can do, and, and, and I'm getting burnt out here. Why don't you guys just stop complaining? And had I said that, I would have revealed a total ineptness in my life at quality leadership. Because when a leader's confronted with a problem, he doesn't deny it or bury it or shoot the messenger or get mad at those that are having the problems. No, that's... That's not what's done. Through courageous administration, you you deal with the problem. And again, we we talked of this a moment ago, but most people settle for second best because of the fear of change. Be a courageous administrator in the work of God. We need to be spirit-filled, spirit-controlled, and spirit-filled leaders. And many times, the trying times, the difficult times, the problematic times, they're great opportunities for God to grow us in the realm of leadership. So we move on to verse 3. The Bible says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I believe in verse 3 we find careful appointments. You see, more people meant the need for more leaders. Friends, the mark of a good leader is not how many followers he gets, but how many leaders he produces. I've seen it, and you've seen it, and i felt the draw. Probably you have as well. There's something gratifying about feeling as though there are a bunch of of sheep, so to speak, following you around, looking to you for sustenance. And and some people can really get on an ego trip since the rush of of all these people looking only to me. I've been told in the shepherding world, the, the best shepherd can handle about 200 sheep. I think most of us would, would hope to do a work for God that perhaps would grow beyond that. It's not essential every church do that, but your dreams may go beyond that. I, I've, I've understood a good shepherd can care for maybe 200 sheep. I've, I've also come to understand that a good rancher can handle as many cattle as, as he can possibly see his business produce. How does he do that? Through cowboys. Enlisting the help of others to help care. care. And I, I understand the biblical analogy of of uh, the poemain the shepherd and I'm grateful for that the point I'm making is this you know what quality leaders do when when a need arises that exposes a limitation uh, they come at it with the right mindset and they immediately go to work to make careful appointments as our ministries grow leaders are essential we must be ever on the lookout for that next person who can, who can be developed. Now, there was a standard here that was held to these appointments. I want you to see they didn't have the mindset that said, well, let's put this unfaithful man in an area of ministry, and perhaps then he will become faithful. There was a biblical principle that they'd learned from Jesus Christ. And in Luke 16.10, the Bible says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. In other words, they thought, let's find somebody with a margin of faith, with a measure of faith, and let's bring them along. Did they have enough faith to get to church on time? Then they have enough faith to be a greeter at the front door? Uh, do they have enough faith to be a, a, a faithful greeter? Maybe they can be an usher. And on and on and on. I want you to know it's a leader who will be used mightily of God when his heart every day of ministry in every situation is how can I bring these people to the next level in terms of serving God. Now, I have found it's helpful to not give titles and and to, uh, to say things like, would you mind helping for a while? Would you fill in? Uh, I think it can be dangerous to too quickly give someone uh, a job that they think is theirs forever. But friends, we need to bring people along. What was the criteria given in Scripture? Honest report. That is, they have a record of honesty. Full of the Holy Ghost. And then the Bible says, they're to be wise. Now, if we believe in the local church, we believe it's the body of Christ. And if we believe it's the body of Christ, we understand that Christ in particular has placed those members within the body that He would have to be there. And if we would say and believe what we're saying, that there's just no one in our church that can shoulder the load, the burden of ministry, what we're saying in essence is God's plan is not working at all. The Lord didn't think this through at all. I'm saying that there are people in all of our churches and when these problems arise, what there needs to be is a pastor who can say, God, since the church is your plan and this is your body, help me to have the wisdom to see these people that you've brought in and help me to have the wisdom to place them in a position where they can serve you. I like Ephesians 4.12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Sometimes we poor mouth because we work so hard and do so much, and I'm not saying we should not be hard workers. But wouldn't it be great if we did what the Bible said in terms of bringing the body of Christ into the place where they can find the joy and fulfillment from doing those things that God would have them to do, from taking the gifts and abilities that God's given them and putting those to work, perfecting the saints. That's a great word. That's the same word that Jesus used when uh, uh, he said, It is finished. The books have been balanced. It's actually an agricultural term. It, it means to grow something to the place that, that it's ripe. It's, it's process has come uh, to the end. It's, it's ready for consumption. It's ready to be used. And the Bible says that our desire as leaders should be that we bring others to the place where they're ready to be used. When the problem comes, when the stress comes, when the limitation comes, the answer isn't super pastor to the rescue. It's the body of Christ to the rescue. Again, the question is not how many followers am I leading, but how many leaders am I developing? That's the question. I read a book by Jack Wells some time ago, and former CEO of GE, uh, not a faithful Christian. I don't think he's a Christian at all. Not by anything I've read would you get that impression. But he made an amazing statement. He said that every year he gave away 20% of his responsibilities. Now, being naive as I am, I heard that, and I thought, well, after five years, you'd have nothing to do. It doesn't work that way at all, does it? In fact, as he gave things away, he was actually probably doing better at that which he had left. But more than that, there was a principle behind that. He understood that if there was to be success in in his time and even beyond, he understood in principle he had better be giving the, the responsibility, the leadership, the training away. And so he found himself, he found his role in that company as developing others around him. He went on to... Talk about that being his primary responsibility in his organization. Now, the church is not an organization. I suppose it's more of an organism, but the the principle applies. Sometimes what we call those big problems in ministry, it's God's way of saying, hey, wake up, preacher. I've brought people around you. Yes, they need help, and yes, they need encouragement, and yes, they'll need some training. But God would say, the church is, is my answer for your community. Would you unleash this body to do what I've commanded them to do? Let's go down to verse 4 together. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I believe in verse 4 we find conscientious advisement. Conscientious advisement. You see, the disciples here were not abdicating the work of the ministry. They just realized that the work of prayer and preaching and teaching gave direction to all those who were doing these other things. They understood the value of what they were doing. Again, they weren't giving uh, away work. Spurgeon said, laziness is the scourge of the ministry, and he's right, we've... We've all met people perhaps in ministry that, that were just lazy. They weren't willing to get up early. They weren't willing to stay up late. They weren't willing to make the extra visit. They were just lazy. I don't think that's, that's the norm. Many men I know are, are diligent workers. These people weren't trying to give away work. They were giving away the ministry so that others can get involved. They realized if people were going to be involved, there needed to be some conscientious advisement. They needed to give preference to this matter of prayer and teaching and preaching. You see, once someone is appointed, they will need direction in their lives from the pastor of that church. Now, pastor, let me just interject something here. We need guidance and direction and counsel as well. You see, at the end of the day, I'm going to fear God more than everybody else. Obviously, He's God. I'm to follow the Lord. I'm to do anything I believe he wants me to do. But it would be the height of arrogance. It would even be rebellion if I said, I just don't care what anybody thinks. And there's something that sounds maverick and really great and maybe John Wayne-ish. And we think, you know, I just want to have the attitude. I could care less what everybody thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do. Those are very foolish words. Everybody needs direction and guidance. We'd say, well, the people in our churches do. Yeah, and we need older brothers in Christ who we could call and run ideas past and I'm not talking about giving veto power to any single person. If God leads you, follow the guidance of the Lord, but be careful to seek counsel for the direction you need in life. Now, people that we're leading, they're going to want to know the expectations. What is the goal? What is the avenue through which they can find the resources they need? You see, uh, none of this is done again to make our job easier as as the as the pastor It's done so that we can pull more people in and do a good job helping them to find fulfillment in their life. I used to think that when our church hired a staff that, uh, you know, I'd have more time then. And we have a great staff team, but I've discovered with each staff member that's come along, my responsibility has increased. It hasn't made my life any easier at all. In fact, it's made my life more difficult in the sense of more responsibility to carry. Now, as a leader, you shoulder that load. But you, you have to understand and sense the responsibility that we find here. Man, I need to make sure that I'm walking with God, I'm praying, I'm in the Word, and I'm, I'm feeding the flock nutritious spiritual meals that will help them to keep going. You see, all of this is done so that we can be effective in the ever-changing dynamic that is a growing church. Sometimes leaders and, uh, fail to involve others because they, they want to have that feeling of, I did it all myself. That's not what God's asked anybody to do. In this changing world with problems and pitfalls in ministry, God says, that's why I put a body together because no one guy could get it all done anyhow. And we need to have that mindset. Now, you might think, well, when I try to include others in ministry, they mess it up sometimes. They do. So help them a second time. You say, well, they got a little better. It's still not great. All right, help them a third time. And a fourth time. If the fifth time they still don't get it, you pick the wrong person, all right? But uh, that's on you, not on them. Find someone else whose gift mix may be more appropriate for that need. What kind of leader are you? I I read this. A mediocre uh, mediocre leader tells. tells. A good leader explains, the superior leader demonstrates, the great leader inspires. And you know, my, my desire one day is that when our church family stands before the Lord, it'd be a joyous occasion for their shepherd. I I want them to feel as though they invested themselves thoroughly. They may have held down a job, but they worked for God. They served God. I want them to have that that sense in their heart that, that they did what the Lord placed them on earth to do. And we're not stepping in the steps of Christ if we're not bringing others along with us. You see, you know you're a leader, not, not just by how many are standing in front of you, but, but turn around. How many are behind you, following you, gleaning from you, getting the example from you? Let's take a look together at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and on I could read for sake of time. I want us to see in verse 5, correct agreement. I love the way the Bible says, the saying pleased the whole multitude. Sometimes we get it in our mind, a really great church is a church that doesn't have problems. There's never a pitfall in their way. That's not reality. That's not biblical. We find those things present here. But as the, as the work came, what happened? There was a unity. The saying pleased the whole multitude. You know, I've seen ministries over the years that had a faux agreement. It wasn't real. There was the slight perception that everybody was on the same page, but but it was unity not based on agreement, rather on intimidation. Now, I have no problem leading our church. I believe pastors are to be strong leaders. If you're not a strong leader, you're not much of a leader. But I want you to know that when these problems come and the pitfall seasons arise, there need to be a a, a correct agreement at work in, in your church. I'd rather have one man work with me than three men work for me, one man one time said. You see, and as we follow the steps of Christ, we'll see a unity emerge. Not not an intimidation, not an angry guy behind the pulpit who wants to yell at everybody and this is how it's going to be. But somebody with wisdom and the spirit of Christ Willing to lead a church to the place where the saying can please the whole multitude. Now, there's always the naysayers. There's always the critics. Every church has the one guy I'm thinking of right now at Coastline, whose name I'll keep to myself. Uh, but, but there's always those people that, that want to, uh, you know, uh, give you a problem. I understand that. But, but I'm talking about a, a unity that's prevalent within the body. Did you know God can do that? How could any single church have unity? I'll tell you how. Philippians 3.16 Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. We, we have the same Bible. We can have the same mind, the mind of Christ. Listen, if we're spiritual leaders, and this is the spiritual leadership conference. If we're spiritual leaders, we can help the body in developing the mind of Christ, of having an adherence to Scripture. I want you to realize today that agreement is not to be based on personality or on position or power, but on principle, on the Word of God. And when we stand up, and if you've got a great dynamic, use it. If you're more soft-spoken, great, use your personality. But if we can stand up and open the Word of God and share with our church body a biblical response to the issue with which we're being faced, I believe we can find a saying that will please the whole multitude. And I also want you to know today that unity is a prerequisite for the power of God in any church. Unity. One thing I love about reading the book of Acts is all the great things that happened, and I love to go back to the beginning to find out what led to those great things. Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Well, what happened? Yeah, they were all together. Unity. Acts two, one. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Listen, friends, we can have a consensus. In Christ. I know those times come and we need to stand alone and we need to be bold and courageous and all those other things we learn in the Bible. But, but I believe through wisdom we can lead a church in such a time as a problematic time, a difficult time in a way where the spirit of Christ can bring us along, where there can be a unity within the church. And then finally, let's go down to verses 6 and 7. Whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them And the word of God increased. The number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the flesh. I want us to see finally today in closing a consistent advancement. A consistent advancement. All right? We found the most renowned church in the history of the world had problems. They handled them in a Christ-like way. And the church continued to grow. I called a pastor in Texas a short time before our church started. And I had respect for him. I knew he'd been where he was a long time. And. And uh, I said, I've, I've never pastored. I've never started a church. Would you, would you tell me something I need to hear? He said, grow by 50 a year, stay 20 years. You'll pastor a church of 1,000. Now, I don't think he was telling me grow by only 50 a year. And I don't think he was saying stay only 20 years. I, I think he was saying, Steve, just get in there and plug away. Be faithful. Keep your nose clean. Be consistent. And God will continue to bless. Uh, I look back over the years of Coastline Baptist Church. Um, and I'm very grateful to, to say that we've seen incremental growth. Some years marginally better than others. But, but if you were to take a trend, it's just been consistent. No one's coming to our church, per se, to have a, a, a session like this. I, I understand that. But I'm just saying this, God's been faithful. And it hasn't been because there's been a lack of problems. We, we've had every problem you can imagine. When we went to town, we didn't know where we were going to live. People say, What kind of get acquainted services did you have? Uh, me and the Lord getting acquainted. Ten days after we arrived to town, we had our first service. We had 38 local people. The second Sunday, we had 38. We were holding our own. The third Sunday, we had 32. I'm sensing a trend. The fourth Sunday, we had 19. Me and the Lord were getting really acquainted. We did a lot of things, maybe not the best way. We, we would rent in one place and fill it up, need another. And, and uh, it was common those first couple of years to meet in three different locations for the three different services we were having. We, we grew to almost 50 in our living room for Bible study. There were all kinds of problems, and I wish there were some more pitfalls I'd avoided. But as we sought to approach this with the mind of Christ, we found that in spite of this stuff, there can be consistent advancement. You see, when those problems come, we can be stumped or stymied or stopped or, or we can overcome by the power of Christ. The first century church, what do they teach me? They teach me that God's great. That when, when uh, people yield to Him, He can use anybody to do anything. And that's what we can take home with us from, from a thought like this. Sometimes I talk to people today, and everyone's mind, I guess, is geared a little differently, and that's fine. Um, but but they'll say, you know, I've I've got this 150-page thesis I put together on how I'm going to start a church and where we're going to be in 15 and 20 years. I'm all for long-term planning. Um, Let let me challenge you. If if you're pastoring, why don't you think in terms of where am I going to be next Sunday? Now, you can read the the other books, and you can put your 20-year plan together, but maybe you can think, how many did we have last Sunday? And here's a great plan. Let's try to have five more next week. Move it ahead. Again, not negating the value of a long-term plan, but sometimes we want to micromanage the work of God to the point that that we say, "Uh, I don't want to have any problems along the way. And I'm telling you that God's just good enough to, to tell Peter, you're fixing to go through something, but I'm going to use it to strengthen the brethren. And some of those times that we'd say are problematic and pitfalls and all the rest, we'll turn around with the perspective of time and say, man, God was so good to give us that problem boy, that pitfall came at just the right time, didn't it? God really used that. That's the way God works. You see, let us confront uh, our ability and opportunity with the mind of Christ and take the steps He has for us.
0: You've been listening to the Ministry 127 podcast. Today's lesson by Stephen Chapel was Avoiding Common Pitfalls for Young Churches. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the Word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.